Welcome to Level Up with Lilith. Uh, this is our first podcast. I'm super excited because my first victim, I mean my first guest, uh, is also a friend of mine and she is absolutely amazing. Her name is Christine Duque. Um, I'm not going to butcher her history and her professional uh, experience, so I'm going to let her do all of that. But she has some really, really fun hobbies that we're going to get to as well. So, Christine, welcome to my podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, and I'm honored to be the first. Good. I'm glad. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us what you do, um, and then I'll, I'll sneak in what you've sure. done. Sure. <laughs> um, so for my current day job, I am the global partner at IBM. I run our marketing transformation with Salesforce Practice, as well as co-lead our data for customer experience practice. Um, so really in that whole vein of marketing technology and ad tech and how do you start to orchestrate data and AI and some of the experiences to deliver better customer experiences. So really exciting space to be in um, coming out of, you know, post-pandemic and really directionally where the world is going to is, is you know, how do you get rid of the, you know, understand the signal and the noise, right? That's um, right. It, with all from from a digital perspective and how do you also then tie in kind of offline behaviors to deliver relevant great experiences for your customer whether they're engaging with you in marketing channels or sales and service so that's what i do um from yeah, no big a day deal. job perspective no big deal it's just no. a day, day job <laughs> let's talk about transformation a little bit i know sure. we're talking about digital transformation for clients and omni-channel marketing but let's talk about personal transformation sure i want to start there opera singer uh tell me about that <laughs> so um, most people will look at my LinkedIn and see this whole opera singer th situation and they don't understand. So I actually started my career as a performing artist. So I turned professional at five with the Philippine Drama Company and I had always been in theater and you know musical theater. And as I started to kind of grow into that, like performing all over Asia and in the Philippines, um, when I moved to Australia when I was 12, I kind of auditioned for Miss Saigon and I got rejected. I was too young to be Kim and too old to be Tam, and I was really upset, but there was a professor that was sitting there, a part of the Victorian um, College of the Arts, and said, hey, you know, I know you didn't make it to Miss Saigon, but I think you have a beautiful voice, and what sounds promising as a classical musician, I thought that was crazy. So then I started taking lessons and started kind of pivoting towards opera, and the next thing I know, I'm, you know, starting to pivot as a classical musician and auditioned at Juilliard pre-college when I moved to the States, got accepted, but I only had one semester of school left, so they prepared me for my college auditions, and I ended up going to Oberlin Conservatory of Music, um, studying voice and um, music history and theory, and um, I wanted to be an opera singer. If I wasn't going to be an opera singer, if I wasn't going to be performing, I was going to run an arts organization. That was originally what I wanted to do, and then I don't know. Life happens. Yeah. And a perfect transition to tech. Tell yeah. Me. Perfect transition to tech. That's great. So how did, that, how did the transition happen? Um, I guess when I say, like, life happens, you know, I think I had gotten married and divorced. And in the middle of the divorce, I was crying so much and had hurt my vocal cords. I actually injured my vocal cords. And I thought it was a completely career-ruining, you know, um, injury. And I had to, the first time in my life, figure out what does my skills and experience look like in the corporate world. And I've never had to answer that. 
And after much soul searching and a mentor and talking to people, they said, hey, you know, it's marketing. So I was living in Cincinnati at the time, which is the branding capital of the world, given, mm -hmm. you know, Procter & Gamble. And so I started answering the question, okay, where in marketing do I belong, right? And so I started doing a lot of informational interviews with big marketing companies and realized, hey, you know, I am a, a part-time creative, but also because of my theater training, very good at calling shows and being logical about planning logistics and, you know, kind of, you know, hoarding people, right? So I ended up in event marketing. So one of the times that I did this informational interview is the woman I was talking to was a former concert pianist. And she was doing, you know, ex the very beginning of experiential marketing. So when you're talking about like street teams and event marketing and big trade shows, that was what she does. And she said, hey, you know how to stage manage since you've been in the theater for right. almost all your life. You can call a show. I think you can easily do this. So I started in the production side of marketing. And then because of live events and the nature of live events, and when you start talking to clients, you build that trust. And I had my mentor said, hey, if you want to grow your career in marketing, follow the money. So I went from production to account executive, and then the rest is kind of history. Like from you know, physical, experiential events, when the digital channel started to come in, how do you start to marry the physical and the digital? So that was like really the very beginning. And I was lucky in my career to have always been in the forefront of innovation from a digital channel perspective. When people ask me, how did you start your career in email marketing, et cetera, I had to explain, there wasn't a, such a thing as email marketing when I started. Exactly. There was this DOS-based system and you can only like <laughs> e email people within you know, your university, et cetera. And people was like, what, are, what is DOS? But I grew up with the channels. I just happened to be in the forefront of innovation for clients trying to solve for the digital channels. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, here we are, you know, 20 something years later <laughs> and starting to figure out still, you know, how do you create those experiences, both digital and physical, to create emotional connections with people and brands. Right, so, so would you say physical is not obsolete? It's not obsolete. Why is that? Because, you know, every experience that you have, whether you're on your phone or even coming into a branch, is still an interaction with a brand. And so the, the, it, it, you need to have that great experience in the store as well as like, or the branch or wherever you are to even want the consideration from the digital platform. Mm -hmm. You know, before I even go to the store, I, I, I don't know, I research on the phone. And then when I go to the store and I, this is something that I want, if the experience is great in the store, that turns me into a much more loyal customer because it deepens my emotional connection with the brand. Right. So so tell me this. Um, obviously, there's the physical marketing and the, and the digital side. And your, your role is to do a lot of digital transformation. Right. I imagine that's a lot of changing one technology to another or changing some physical to digital. So when you're doing that and, and for the brands that need to be changed from more physical touch to digital, how do you still keep that emotional connection and the brand uh, value with consumers for those brands? Every brand has a unique story to tell. That's what's so exciting about marketing and why people think I'm at odds of becoming this opera singer and then going into marketing. It actually isn't any different, right? If you think about opera and you think about the theater, they're all based on stories and it's your job as an actor, as a as a performer to take that story and then build that emotional relationship with the audience, right? right. So take marketing and take brands. Every brand has their story. So um, of how they grew up, like how Ivory was created, how Tide was created, and how do you tell that brand value proposition to a customer, whether you're interfacing with them 
on a shelf in a store or whether you're engaging with them on social media or any of the digital aspects of it, how do you create that cohesive, how do you tell that story and create that emotional connection with that person? And that's the exciting part of marketing. That is the, totally the art side of marketing. That was always the basis of marketing. And then now you add this dimension of science, which is the data, the tech, the AI, which just makes it even more exciting, gives you more insights in your fingertips to start to tailor these personalized experiences. So marketing was always grew up with the big idea, right? It was always like you needed one big idea, and the more that you got that big idea out and what the classic marketing of spray and pray, the more you saturate the market, the more that it sticks. But we're not in that world anymore. We're in a world where you and I can be watching the same show mm -hmm. and looking at two different commercials. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Target targeted. Exactly. And it, there was a time where that wasn't even a possibility, right? You watched all the same commercials because there was only one channel that you vied for that spot. And we're in a place where the technology allows us to create that personalization and the insights that you get from every single action that you have, every swipe, every like, <laughs> everything that you do, whether you sign up and give your email address something, is a signal to marketers and people around, like, what is it that you want? And if you're a really smart marketer and don't understand the data and how to tailor that personalized experience, you know, to create that differentiation from another brand that may be reaching out to you in a very generic way, that's the chance for you to, to get deeper. And that's, that's what I do for, for clients, right? And for, for, for a living is how do I help my clients create these emotional connections with their brands? How do I tell their story? Right. So in actual way, I'm still singing opera every day. <laughs> <laughs> it's just in a very, it's a different medium, but it right. is just starting to understand that. And I think that people forget, people forget the importance of what it is to, to study arts and humanities because it is a study of people. Right. And at the end of the day, when, you, when you're business in general or just life in general, but business is actually rooted in people right. and relationships. And in order for you to drive productivity in any organization, it comes down to people. Yeah. And it's, but it's really easy to forget about the people, right? So, so take ads, for example. You know, regulation comes out. Um, ads have this unique perspective like it's bad for consumers don't give so many ads don't target them so much but the other side of this is they need it they want it and they prefer it it's just you know you want to do it the right way so they don't get upset you're not wasting their time they're not seeing the same thing over and over again and it's actually they it, they want to feel like you understand them and you're targeting them because you know what they need right and so that that connection that you make with the consumer and and making and leveling with them right so to see hey i have what you need i know what you need but i also don't want to do it in a way that you're going to not like my brand eventually so let's kind of work together you know you don't talk to the consumer but you're working with them at the same time you're following their journey they're following your brand and at some point that that overlaps and your ads become so targeted that they become loyal consumers of yours um, so how would you say, uh, you know, uh, do you tell that story to your brands when you're trying to do digital transformation? And Absolutely, because okay. it's like humanizing the experience, yeah. right? And I think that there's multiple dimensions and multiple touch points, right? You've got your corporate branding, your corporate marketing, which mm -hmm. is super important because it sets the stage around, you know, who you are as a brand, right? So do, we all recognize the Tiffany Blue Right. Far away, right? Because that's a Tiffany Blue, right? But then how do you then get to the, like, that next level relationship, right? Whether you're in the store, it's, it comes down to how do you humanize the experience, 
right? So like the pretty um, advertising is all well and good from a product perspective, but then if you add Beyonce into the, you know, into that, you know, advertising and you know exactly what she stands for and, you know, JC, then it changes the conversation around how you see the brand and how you react to the brand, yes. right? Take that a step notch down and say, okay, you have now suddenly an influencer who's, you know, mix and matching like on social media, like, you know, fashion plus Tiffany's, like, then it's a different, it's like you kind of now start to see yourself in, in, in that, in that brand and that level, then it creates that next level of connection and humanity. And so that's really what it is. It's like, how do you humanize the brands, right? Every single tactic has its own place, but what is most effective is how do you start to create that human connection and touch? And there's different avenues to do that where you as a consumer can see yourself, you know, within that brand, within that spirit, and within, within that product. Because right. it, 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 it speaks to you from a lifestyle perspective. Definitely. So, so with, with, that, with that said, though, when you, just because you have a brand, just because you, know, you have Beyonce and Jay-Z and all of that, doesn't mean everybody's going to have the same emotional um, attention to it, right? So there's segmentation. And so you might spend money here doing these types of amazing things to get your brand out there, but you still need to segment how you deliver the message and the content to each type of consumer. Absolutely, and that's the beauty of it, right? If you think about like classical marketing, old school marketing, madman marketing, right? It is spray and pray. There's only one channel, one effectiveness, and mm -hmm. the more that you get that, that messaging out, but it's a singular message and you're just hoping that we, we call it spray and pray and you know and see whatever sticks and whatever sticks is who your customer is. We're not in that era anymore, right? right. And I think we know that every brand that you have there, every product that you have out there, it's not for everyone. You have a very specific customer that you're after and a very specific demographic coming back to the segmentation piece where this is the reason why personalization becomes super important. We're, the data side of it becomes exciting, right? How do I see my consumers today? How do I look at lookalike models um, to find consideration of other people who may have the same interests as, as my core customer and get that consideration for that person who's not yet my customer but has the same interest and I know that my brand would speak to them. Right. And it is that segmentation, that personalization, that targeting um, instead of having to do like kind of spray and pray I think the more focused that you are, the more targeted you are, the better results that you have. And that's what's super exciting um, I agree. right now. I agree. So, so on the digital transformation side, I know that right now you focus on helping customers transform their digital tech stack, whatever it might be. And a lot of that relates to your relationship with Salesforce, right? Uh, or let's call it a CRM, but Salesforce specifically. Uh, tell me about that journey. How do, you, how do you present that kind of a digital transformation and then bring in a partner to help you implement that? So Salesforce is one of the many partners that I work with. Um, and when you start to look at digital transformation and ecosystem from a client, there's not one vendor or one stack that's in there, right? That's right? And I deal with it from a marketing perspective where Salesforce becomes compelling as a product, right? Because they've got their customer relationship management system, which is rooted in sales. Then you've got the service side of the house, and then you've got the marketing pieces, and you also have commerce and loyalty. So essentially, they've got technology and capabilities um, that interface with you know customers from an engagement perspective, whether sales service and marketing um, or commerce. And then you've got other vendors in the ecosystem that have specialties, whether it's marketing or sales and service. And what digital transformation really looks like is how do you orchestrate 
all of the technology, but internally to deliver that you know customer experience. Because if you really think about organizations, um, they're siloed, either siloed by product or even siloed in terms of customer engagement. If you talk sales, service, and marketing, those are siloed organizations, right? right? And so what customer experience, good customer experience looks like, what we're demanding as customers, let me, let me clear that, it's what we're demanding as customers, right. is seamless interactions across every channel that we, t we, that we engage with, right? And so that's a challenge for companies because it's orchestrating the technology, their data, and then most of it is actually people in process. So when you talk about large-scale customer transformation, the problem's not the tech. The problem is people in process. And how do you drive that change within an organization, which is, again, comes down to people. Right. <laughs> right? Business is about people um, and, and how do you to start to influence it. So that's really what is at the heart of, of digital transformation. And what's crazy is that the tech is so fast, right? Like, it, it's just changing so fast. Like, six months ago, none of us were talking about GPT. Right. <laughs> and now, that's like, right. everywhere I go to, let's talk about GPT. How do you feel about GPT? Um, you know, my team actually just downloaded ChatGPT on my phone the other day because I haven't been using it. I was like, again. Have you used it? I've started using it for fun, but, like, you know, if I talk to, like, my niece, for example, and other friends, like, it's interesting to see how they're using it from a use case perspective, yeah. right? I feel like that's like, again, like the, the tech is evolving to consideration for a new generation of customers, right? And how they use it. And then how do you stay on top of those trends mm -hmm. to deliver that experience? Because now it's another channel <laughs> that we didn't exactly. expect from customers. But yeah, no, I think um, I had friends and nieces who said they were using it to check sentiment on a text message before they send it. Not my use case, but I would never thought I, about I that. I didn't even know that was the use case on that. Apparently. Okay. okay, well, I would fail every check sentiment on a text message before I send it, so I think I'm going to refrain from using it. Um, yeah. so how, how do you think, let's talk about ChatGPT, actually, uh, and, and I'll go back to a few other questions sure. related to digital transformation. Do you think that level of AI is going to affect how you interact with your clients? Yes. And, Okay, how so? I think it's, um, I think there's a couple of dimensions around it. I think there's some fear around around that, you know, um, capability right now where the people in organizations feel like it's going to take over their jobs and make them obsolete. Yeah. Um, but there's also another side of that. It's like, actually, no, can that actually help you make your job more efficient and faster and help upskill you faster? Yes. You know, and so I think there's still a lot of use cases in, in both ends of the spectrum where people don't understand understand or know what to yeah. do. Highly regulated industries are terrified of it because they True. don't understand the trust or transparency of where the data is being stored and how that's being capped. And so I think that that's, you'll see the highly regulated industries come back at this very, very conservative. But um, I think it's like, I think GPT to me is going to be like the next generation social media. I agree. <laughs> and and I, the way I look at AI and, and you know, a lot of transformation from a tech yeah. perspective I look at it like you know you're you're an employee in an office right and somebody that you think is better comes in um, you have two options you either avoid it or embrace it Correct. right if you embrace it you can also control that narrative you can you can embrace it in a way where you learn more from them rather than be fearful of it right and I think technology is the same way there's a lot it's very overwhelming you think you're gonna be obsolete at some point as a human being in an in an employment environment but I think it's the opposite. I think if you if you take that AI, that technology, and you say, okay, how can I 
um, customize this to make my job better? Or how can I actually just let it do my job so I could do something bigger? Uh, then that's when you're thinking forward. And right. I think those are the people that will um, never be fearful about their job. They'll be at the forefront of that change. And the technology changes so fast, right? And you just hit the nail on the head. There's AI and then there's generative AI, right? right? And so people, when you're talking about GPT and some of these use cases, they don't understand that that's generative AI, right? And and that is kind of the new pieces around it that need to be like, AI has been around for a while. It's being used. You know, if you talk about next best action, next best offer, when you're talking about Amazon, that is 100% AI machine learning, right? And this generative AI pieces is kind of like the next phase of it, right? But it's only as good as the data that you actually have underneath it, right? You have to train the models to be able to, you know, accurately spit out what it is that you want. And again, good data in, good data out. Bad data in, <laughs> bad data out. And, and that, that still applies um, to all of these AI and technology pieces, you yeah. know? So it's, it's, not as, it's not as smart as people think it is. Like you just click on a button, everything is perfect. And there's all of these different dimensions that, you know, again, technology can be used to enable us to do our jobs better but it's only, again, as good as the input that you give it. Yeah, I've been reading a few articles that are now going up now that more people are using it. People in professional environments are using it, lawyers, doctors, and, and accountants, and things like that. And um, I was reading a few cases where, you know, some lawyers took, you know, a lot of arguments from Jet chat GPT, and they put it in their papers, and they presented it in court, and it turned out that, be, I mean, obviously it's, it's a little bit of negligence to not do your own research before you go to court and present those, but a lot of those cases that were cited didn't exist. And so now we're trying to understand, like, where is all this information coming from? And a lot of it is great. A lot of it is accurate. And I think there's there's a lot of room to learn from it. Sure. But just like we're learning from that, that it's learning from us too. And so we need to work together with technology to make sure the accuracy level is high enough so we can rely on it in the future. Because... When you're in that kind of professional setting, everything you do affects somebody else. Uh, so we have to be mindful. We have to take on that responsibility of how we use technology. But that's well. exactly it, right? Like people think that technology is going to replace humans. It does not. Like right. there's always going to be a human element for it and you need it. It's just then how much smarter or are you going to, you know, or efficient are you going to make the human part of it, right? So they don't have to go through lots and lots of data and scrubbing things kind of manually, right? If you can automate some of the pieces and have that final review and make yes. the tweaks that you need, that's the kind of efficiency that we're looking at, but it will never replace what human intelligence <laughs> actually brings to the table. And at the end of the day too, right? Like what's actually the forefront of this and where people are trying to find that right balance, right? Between the tech and human is trust, transparency, and just ethical use of Absolutely. data and, you know, your, your privacy. Yeah. One of the things, you know, everybody's kind of talking about right now is we're, we're working a lot, right? People just work a lot and they're not having time to take care of themselves some wellness. Um, and so here's, here's the future that I envision, the, the beautiful way that technology could be used. You don't have to waste your time doing the small things that just take up a lot of time. Technology can do that. Like you said, you will review it, you will put the human touch to it, and then you will expand your mind to actually learn new things, but you also free up some time to start having that work-life balance everybody's talking about, right? I think that that's how we should perceive technology. Um, we're not there yet. I think a lot not of people yet. are just 
really scared of it. There's, you know, they're, they're, they spend more time analyzing what the technology is doing than, the, than they're just reviewing. Uh, but I've, eventually, I think this world could be a better place just by embracing the technology in that way to just streamline. It's just another part of your chain, right? Like, you know, supply chain, for example, uh, and let it replace some of the things that you really shouldn't be spending time doing. You talk about, like, customer transformation of what I do for companies to change the enterprise. But in reality, as this, all of this technology comes in, there is that larger scale transformation as we as actual customers go through, right, totally. and how we engage with technology. So. Think about email, for ex example, right? Like it used to be, used to be, or, or like if you respond back to email within 24 hours, is accepted. And then, you know, society kind of decided, like, well, I sent you an email like two minutes ago. Where <laughs> the where, where's the response, right? Yeah. And I think that that's part of like what we also have to calibrate as a society of what's acceptable, right? Social media is so real time. Does yeah. everything have to be real time is, is a, a half of it, right? And I think that that's where you swung the pendulum from being in the pandemic, right? Everything was just, everyone was just home and there was this expectation that you're just sitting at home and you're in front of your laptop and you're in front of your screen and that you should be able to respond back pretty quickly, right? And I think that there's this now recalibration from you know post-pandemic where it's like, okay, how do we start to kind of create that balance? What is the acceptable response time, et cetera, and, and how we do this? Because I think what the technology has done is made life such so much more fluid Yes. In terms of, you know, what you can access on your phone at any second of the day. And then you kind of decide to engage with what you need and decide how you respond to something. Is it truly a fire that needs my attention now? Mm -hmm. um, or can it wait the next hour or two hours? That's true. And I do think that the, the expectation of quicker response time actually does affect your social and emotional connection with people, right? Because, like, for example, if I'm really overwhelmed and I have... 25 emails I need to go through and I have an hour to do it I'm going to be short I'm going to be I'm going to I'm going to cut it really short and I'm going to be direct right but that's not how I would have done it had I had like a good five six maybe 24 hours to think about it and my response most likely would be different maybe even the content might be different sure. it depends on how overwhelmed I am how how quickly I need to respond and what I'm going through at that moment so I do think that we need to take a little bit of a step back and be like we don't need to compete with social media that's not you know, that social media has always been consumer to consumer. Now that brands are coming in, they have to live with that lifestyle, that pace. And I don't think that it's fair for brands and it's not fair for consumers either because right now on social media I go in, there's too many ads. I want ads, but there's too many of them and too many of the same things because it's, it's becoming um, consumer versus business race on social media. Well, yeah, and, and again, like, as much as every channel has its purpose, right, from an enterprise perspective, on a personal level, every channel has its purpose as well. LinkedIn, to me, is professional, and everything that is curated there for is from a professional content perspective, because that's what that is. You're not going to see me posting about personal stuff. Sure, there are insights and slivers about personal stuff that I'm willing to share, but it's still in a, in a professional context. Um, Instagram, for me, it becomes more about culture, right? Like, right. How, how do you see about culture from a... Um, even from the companies that I've worked with and stuff, right? Most of the personal stuff that I have is hidden yeah. <laughs> behind all that stuff. So if you want to know what's going on in my life, don't look at my social media. I'll just text you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, but, but again, like different dimensions, right, of how, even how we need to yes. change our relationship with social media. There are people who use social media specifically for their personal use. That is their network. That is their community. All well and good, but not everyone is engaging in exactly the same way. Like for you and me, right, a lot of it is, culture, brand, yes. and, and purpose that, you know, it's not like you're posting all of your personal information out there. So 
Um, well, you would hope most people are yeah. in that same mindset, right? And but and they're it's kind of it's right? sad to <laughs> see that most people are not. And and I don't even blame the brands for attacking that side because what you expose is what you're gonna get targeted Correct. for. And so then you you have to live with those repercussions. So I I'm, I'm the same way as you. You know, yeah. I post things that like LinkedIn, even though my team asks me very often to post things because I forget. But I do try to make it professional with a little bit of a culture in there. Yeah. Just so there's a human touch to it, you know. I mean, it's still genuine voice. Yes. But is it, like, it, it's still, it's always going to be genuine voice, right? And then that's how I post. But, you know, there's, it's curated, right? So it's like, you know, I don't have to tell you about all of the personal pieces that I have. It's still personal. It's still relevant. But, you know. Definitely. <laughs> I agree. Uh, we talked a lot about a lot. Uh, yeah. So, so I do want to tackle the topic of partnerships. A lot of, you know, we, we kind of talked about from the consumer perspective, they want a product, you got to give it to them. They don't care what happens in the background, how many partners are involved, how many thousands of employees worked on this, what AI was used and all of that. And, you know, if you have a bug, the, you just broke their process. They don't even care that bugs happen in the business and things like that. So tell me the importance of partnerships in your line of work, How, uh, partnerships with people you work with and also the companies that you partner with to do what you do. I mean, I'm in consult management consulting, so it's all about partnerships. It's all about trusted partnerships, right? Yeah. So my value proposition to my clients is really being seen as a trusted advisor, right? It doesn't matter what the technology or what it is that I'm trying to figure out. It's either you trust me to solve for your challenges as as your strategic partner or not. And that's where the sweet spot of success really is um, for me and my teams that, that I manage is, is really, it's relationships built on trust. So that from a client perspective becomes extremely important when you're dealing with change and organizational change and large scale transformations, right? You need a trusted partner who's going to, you know, who's done this before, but who can give you the right advice to really kind of navigate through those changes within an organization, right? Um, from an alliance perspective with a lot of the tech partners, yeah, it, it comes down again, business is about people and it comes down to trusted relationships with your partners, particularly with the partners that I work with in the ecosystem. Um, you know, they have other considerations of other vendors and other companies and other relationships that they go to, but the reason why you s continue to engage with me, whether um, whatever colors that I'm wearing, whichever team colors I'm wearing, is because there is that trusted relationship yeah. um, and partnership that you know has been proven over time um, to deliver the right value. Um, at the end of the day, right, when you really look at the whole ecosystem, whether you're looking at tech vendors and alliances and relationships from that perspective and even looking at the clients, right, it's really the perfect marriage of all of the right relationships coming to the table for better together to solve for a solution. And that's where, you know, again, trust, transparency and you know that relationship becomes extremely critical i agree and i find it that the trust in the relationship is it starts with the people and the technology is like the bonus that comes with it because you know before businesses used to look at partners like hey you have a great technology and i want to use yeah. it but you can't really partner with them and have this camaraderie if you don't like the people or if you don't if you don't sync well with them if you can't sit at a nice dinner table and have amazing conversation and leave that dinner feeling like your friends 
the technology is not going to overrule that. It's Correct. not going to override any of that. And so both parts, I think, are equally as important. Trust, transparency, and relationship comes down to it, right? I, I, I love how you and I met and became friends. Because <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it, it, was, it was in a context, I, I was in the context of us trying to, like, figure out what the relationship, the partnership is. And I've been on a couple calls, and it's like, guys, what is the tech? Can someone please articulate this and couldn't articulate it? And then finally, you and I were just sitting at the pool together for like five minutes. Like, what is it going to take? I said, well, here's where I'm coming from. And I just told you like straight up transparent. I don't understand what your value proposition is. And I have a hard time like trying to figure out how to help, you know, navigate through this. And you're like, well, let me give it to you straight in like five minutes. <laughs> I was like, I was like, why didn't you just say that? <laughs> and you're like, and we're like, okay, let's have more drinks and yeah. we solve the problems of the world within like five and, minutes. And here we are, we're a year later <laughs> a year. and we're, we're making things happen and, and uh, we've built a friendship and a business relationship. But that's, that's exactly right, yeah. like trust and transparency, like, you know, that was, yeah. you know, that, that was kind of like the fundamental piece exactly. of it, right? So now every time we need to brainstorm, we just find a pool, <laughs> go sit by it for, let's call it 30 minutes, okay? <laughs> it was five minutes, yeah. but it was good. <laughs> We're much more efficient than that. But no, but yeah. that's exactly what it is, right? It comes down to like any any successful business or transaction or it, it comes down to a trusted relationship, right? And and how quickly you can get that, you know, what they feel familiar, familiarity and trust mm -hmm. um, and honesty with someone, right? And in us, it was just, it was, it was quick. Actually, it wasn't quick. It was quick when we got to that point. That's true. But for like it, it, everything it else, the, it it's was, like it started off quite odd. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think that you know we removed everybody that made it odd, and then we just we just made it yeah. pretty quick. And afterwards. then like within five minutes, yeah. we're just like, okay, why didn't you yeah. just say that? And we're like, okay, we're best friends now. We're good. But <laughs> it, it's a perfect example of like you know it's still the same technology we were talking about. It's just different right. people articulating it, and and so that's why I think. You know, and I have to do this quite often, and a lot of big companies do this. You have this. You have to talk to employees. You have to talk to upper management, and you have to have the same story. We talked about story a lot. The same vision and how you articulate it is just as important if, as how you are on the same page. And so that we have the perfect example of why that may or may not work. So, so now it works. We're great. You're here, so I'm, I'm <laughs> happy to. I'm I'm happy to have you here again. I feel like we're gonna have more interaction like this together just because you know you're 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 speeding at a lightning speed and and i think we can learn a lot from you um and so thank you for coming today i'm going to end with a riddle though uh i'm going to put you on a spot i heard this riddle it's a, it's a pretty easy one i didn't get it when i heard it i heard it on the ellen DeGeneres show once um and i'm really good at riddle so it, it bothered me that i didn't get this so so here's the riddle what is it that elephants can make that humans cannot? Space. Lots of space. Good answer. Lots of awkward space or good space, depending on what elephant in the room you want. Yeah, so. it's, it's, it's one of the only riddles that has made me feel less dead, let's just say. You know, or stupid <laughs> in some ways, but I've decided I'm not going to give you the answer, so I'm going to open up, open it up to the audiences, and uh, if anybody does know the answer, feel free to comment uh, or message. But uh, someone GPT that Ellen DeGeneres. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And, and uh, if it's easy, don't make me feel bad. If it's hard, don't feel bad because I didn't get it for a long time until the answer was given. Uh, and don't Google it, please. No Chat GPT either.
<laughs> they already did it by the yeah. time you said that. <laughs> I know. Thank you so much for coming in, Christine. Okay, no worries.